All right, last week we started out and we talked about uh, Christ coming and uh, the prophecies that were there. And we also discussed the fact that in 1 Timothy, or 1 Timothy, that in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 and 11, the prophets had a problem. They had a hard time putting together the sufferings and the glory of the Messiah. They are, they are in order in the Bible, sufferings first, glory to follow. But it was, uh, according to that passage, take a look at it. Let's just go back there and, and take a look at that uh, particular problem that they were having. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. When they were making their prophecies, as to this salvation the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow okay so to the point that some the idea of two Messiahs might be one who suffers and one who frees but always in the Old Testament even when you put it together the sufferings were always first and the uh, glories followed when you go to Luke 24 Jesus explains this uh, problem to the two disciples who were going on their way back home after Jesus had raised from the dead and he suddenly appears to them in Luke chapter 24, I'll give you the verse here. Uh, verse 46 and uh, following. He told them this is what is written. The Christ, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power of the Mokai. Okay. Notice he said the order there, suffering and rise again. Same order. Suffering and glory. Now this evening, what I want to do, uh, we're going to look at the announcement of the king's birth. I want to look at it at a, at a, a slightly different angle. I want to show you that the prophecies of the Old Testament, when given to the announcement to the, when Jesus was going to be born, that the prophecies were interpreted literally by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, by Mary, by Joseph, by the shepherds, and by the Magi. Because what is happening today in covenant circles, or circles that are amillennial, is that they are saying that the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the millennium are not literal. <laughs> They say they're not literal. In other words, <coughs> when Jesus Christ returns, that's the beginning of the eternal state, 
there is no intermediate state or millennial kingdom whatsoever. Then all the prophecies that we went through a couple weeks ago where they will be, remember we had the intermediate state where Jesus will be the king of the nations, there will be no wars, people will go to Jerusalem to worship at least once a year, and that everybody will be able to raise your own food. Uh, and uh, But on the other hand, uh, all of these things they say is not literal. Lion lying down with the lamb, etc. But I want to show you that all the prophecies that were given to Mary, Joseph, the Magi, and Zechariah, they expected these prophecies to be fulfilled literally. So why not the second coming? My, uh, that's my point. Yes, Raj. I don't sometimes understand why they didn't get it. Because Jesus, you know, the two on the Emmaus road, remember uh, Jesus spoke to them and then he had said, well, everything that I did, I explained to you in the Old Testament why in the world did you not get it? So sometimes I don't get why they didn't get it. You know, or was it just they didn't want to get it? Because it was explained to them. You just answered your question. Okay, all right. Here's a good verse. Like if you take Deuteronomy 18.50, it says, uh, The Lord thy God will rise up unto you a prophet from the midst of you, of thy brother, like unto me, unto him, you're going to listen. So I've written down oodles of sayings like that throughout the scriptures. And I sometimes don't know why they didn't want to see him except they didn't like him. I've been preaching for over 60 years. And you know what? A lot of people never got it. Because they were reading King James Version. <laughs> 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 On my phone. Right? <laughs> <laughs> one for <laughs> Just to set the record straight, I have all three Bibles. I always heard. I got David Jeremiah's and I got uh, one of I've always heard the King James was good enough for Paul, so it's good enough for me. And it was good enough for his wives, the epistles. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, I like my notes in here. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I, I, the King James, nothing really wrong with it. It's old it's English. Yeah. Uh, and the thee and the thou throw people and, and so forth. But it's a good translation. I think it's hard for people to read it. Years ago, we had a guy in our church who held to the King James. And we started having the elders like we do here. We have the elders read the scripture. And he would read out of the King James. And he would stumble all over himself. And he was a bright guy. And so one day I sat down with him and I told him, I said, you're stumbling over yourself on Sunday morning. And I think I know the reason. And the reason is when you read the King James by yourself, you do your own interpretation. 
but when you are forced to read word for word in the public, you don't think <coughs> that way, so you stumble. But when you read privately, you can you read smooth. But when you're forced to read publicly, listen to yourself. When you're forced to read publicly, you're stumbling because you're not thinking that way. You don't think in terms of old English. And when it hit me was, Faith and I were memorizing scripture, and we would report to the church on a week in a, in a scripture memory position. So we decided, uh, why, were, why, why just memorize one verse? Why don't we memorize a context? So we were going to memorize a paragraph where Jesus was in the boat, and he is in the hindereth part of the boat. I mean, it was horrible to memorize. We flunked out of that class. Uh, it was easier to read. And I was a King James guy back in the early days, and uh, we went to, uh, Wycliffe had a uh, face a friend who worked at Wycliffe, and they had a motel that preachers could, and missionaries could stay at one mile off the Huntington Beach, California shore. So we stayed there a week, and they had a New International Bible there, New International. And so I was doing my Bible reading. I thought, what can it hurt to read the NIV, the non-inspired version? <laughs> and so uh, I started reading. I was in Job, sat down, read the whole book of Job. It's so easy reading. Now, I don't personally recommend the NIV, but I'm saying that, that there are some versions that are easy read, easier to read than others. Now, I study out of the NIV. I study on there the NASV 95 edition. And I just bought a brand new Bible and it was a new ASV, it's not the 95 edition, it's hard to get. And uh, right away I read a passage and it said world instead of persons. I looked it up in the Greek, it's masculine. And they changed it to a non-masculine now. On the NASB? On the, the new one. The 2020. The brand new one. Peoples, they say peoples instead of men. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, I was ready to give that one up. <laughs> so you gotta, you know, it's not a major change, but to me it was significant in light of where we are. Okay, and the announcements that uh, were made by the prophets and were made to the uh, people who are going to be involved in the birth of Christ, there are three words that keep popping up. Throne, house, and David. And they're all three related to kingdom. And that's my emphasis this evening. A lot of things you can applies application from the birth of Jesus Christ and those announcements, but I, I'm kind of zeroing in on more of the kingdom rather than some of the other things that are there. When the New Testament era arrives, there's a turning point in the developing of the kingdom plan. After 400 silent years, prophecies of the Old Testament 
concerning the king and his kingdom are now suddenly being fulfilled. How long is 400 years? 400 years from 2023 would take you back to 1623. What is the major event in 1623? Anybody know? I don't either. That's 400 years ago. Can you imagine these people not heard from God for 400 years? My grandpa wasn't even alive. And uh, 1,600 years take us back before the United States was ever even uh, a nation. Suddenly now these prophecies are coming to, to fruition. And how are the people who are in Judaism, how are they taking these prophecies? As an analogy of faith, as, as these prophecies were somehow spiritualized, or was the fact that Jesus is going to be the king of the earth going to be the king of the earth? Well, the very first chapter of the book of the New Testament is what? What's the, new, what's the new, first book of the New Testament? Matthew. What's the first chapter about? Yeah, genealogy. And that genealogy, take a look at it, Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. That genealogy of Jesus the Messiah is, a, as it says in that particular verse. Somebody read it, please. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Already links us to what? Son of Abraham. To David, who was given the promise that one of his sons one of his sons would be the king of Israel who would rule forever. Furthermore, the very next name is what? Abraham. Turns us right back to the Abrahamic covenant. Which God said to Abraham, Genesis 17, 16. Genesis 17, 16. I don't know if you have all these verses, but... I added some as I reviewed it. Sermons grow if I don't finish it and go the next week. Uh, Genesis 17, 6. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Okay, Abraham was promised that kings would come from him. And it actually included the one who would be the seed of the woman. How about Revelation 22, 16, one of the last few verses of the Bible. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Wow, that's how he signs off. He said, I write these things to the churches. I am the root and descendant of David. The bride of morning star, that's how Jesus signs off in the revelation about him. By the way, it's revelation, not revelations. It's one revelation that God gave to uh, John. All right, so uh, right away we're tipped off in uh, 
beginning of the New Testament that the Messiah, the King, is going to be uh, the son of David and the son of Abraham as prophesied in the Old Testament. It's a bang. First book. Now look at Zechariah in uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 15 to 17. Luke chapter 1, 15 to 17. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, so the prophecy comes that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will turn many sons back to them. Now a parallel passage of that drop down to Luke chapter 1 68 to 74. Luke chapter 1 68 to 74. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And he has raised up a horn and salvation for us in the house of David his servant. As he spoke by mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. So this prophecy says what? The birth of of uh, John the Baptist is pre-God's pre, uh, promise in fulfillment of all that he said in the Old Testament. He's going to save Israel. He's going to save them from their enemies. He made an oath to his father Abraham in verse 73. He's going to fulfill all these things from David. And uh, Zechariah believed that. He believed that the king would be the king of the world. And he took it literally, is my point. Now go back to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the closing of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, so Malachi prophesies that Elijah is going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, the tribulation era. But here comes uh, one now who's a witness in verse 17 of Luke chapter 1. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He fulfills a prophecy, by the way. And it is 
it is not in your, uh, I don't think it's in your notes, but take a look at Matthew chapter 17, 9 to 13 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Two people stand by Jesus Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And these two people, the two men, are Elijah and Moses. Moses for the law, Elijah for the prophets. So a question is asked Jesus as it come down the mount. Matthew 17, 9 to 13. As they were coming down the mount, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist fulfilled uh, the passage in Malachi chapter 5 that Elijah would come first. And he is a bona fide witness that Jesus is the Messiah. Now we can have a big discussion on that, uh, about that, but uh, I, I have some pretty strong views on that, but I'll let it go. Um, anyway, Elijah has come, and if Jesus were to offer his kingdom, and the people would accept Jesus' offer, then the prophecy of Malachi would have been totally fulfilled in the person of Elijah coming back. That's why he says Elijah has come. In fact, in fact that, that uh, Elijah is come. What does yours say? Mine says, is come. It is a present indicative active of the word to come. So the idea is he's here. And they understood him to be John the Baptist. So everything could have been fulfilled right then and there. It was a legitimate offer of the kingdom. And had the people accepted it, there would have been, uh, Elijah would have fulfilled it. Any comments? Okay, how about Mary? Take a look at Luke chapter 1, verse 31 to 34 when the angel Gabriel makes his announcement. Luke 31 to 34. What does the angel tell Mary? You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay, that sound familiar from the Old Testament? He's going to be, uh, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. I think we a couple weeks ago we went over that. Now that's been written to uh, 
been written a long time ago, almost a thousand years ago, prior to this announcement to Mary. So the Word of God still stands. God has not changed His mind. His Word still stands as it was given back there. Psalm 89, 3 and 4. I don't think that's in your notes, but Psalm 89, 3 and 4, and Psalm 89, verse 27. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. And the angel told Mary, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Look at verse uh, 27 in that same chapter of same Psalm. I also shall make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Okay. I think he's thinking about an uh, intermediate state, an intermediate period between the time in which we are now living and the eternal state. Notice what he said to Mary. Uh, he said, He will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? forever and his kingdom will have no end he will be the highest of the kings of the earth and that's what she believed she was delivering right she pondered all these things in her heart as she bore this child and First of all, the shepherds come, and later, a couple of years later or less, the wise men come. Pastor Rob, what's the passage in John, maybe five or six, somewhere in there, where Mary requests, where his mother requests of him to... Um, Chapter two. To, you know what I'm talking about, where perform, to perform the miracle of something or other, and he says, woman, why do you why do I have to do with you? Yeah. That's in chapter 2 of John where they're making water and the wine yeah. and they run out. Is that an allusion again, I think, to his, mm-hmm. his reign? And, and uh, she has put up with a lot of, of uh, slander. Uh, Canaan wasn't that big a town. And uh, here she is pregnant three months before Joseph takes her her as his wife. Okay, and how old was Mary at this time when she heard this? Uh, I don't know know that we know for sure, but I think she's a teenager. That's what I thought too, so wow, what a thing too. The custom was that shortly after puberty, women were eligible to be married. In third world countries, they don't have teenagers. Uh, kids grow up, they take care of the family, and as soon as they can, they they get they have the occupation of their father, and they uh, sell and trade just like uh, their fathers do. They help the people on the farm. They don't have a period of six or seven years where they can black out of society and drive big cars and act crazy. 
they're educated and uh, way they go. I remember <coughs> sitting on the street of, of uh, La Ceiba and uh, Honduras. Our hotel was right on and they had a square something like York and Aurora and a park in this one and they had some <coughs> some of their crocodiles in there. They don't call them crocodiles. It's a different kind of a like an alligator. Is it Cayman? Yeah. And uh, when we would get up in the morning and we'd sit out there and as the morning was still cool on the bench in front of the hotel, here would come guys, I would say seven or eight years old, driving a donkey, two-wheel cart, full of fruit. And they'd park on that square and they'd sell it. And Honduras is uh, truly a pineapple uh, kind of a place. Anything you could grow on fruit, they could grow there. They had avocados like that. Big uh, grapefruit and all that, pineapples and everything. In fact, Dole has a big part of what goes on there. And so you'd go say, yeah, I'd like to buy an avocado because we like guacamole. And so we'd say, can we buy some uh, how much is that avocado? And, he, and he'd say it's a dollar. We'd say, oh, that's way too much. Uh, how about 50 cents? No, he'd say, I'll give you 90. And you'd bicker with him like you're bickering with a merchant, and the kid is half your size. And in the evening, he'd pack up and he'd go home. So we had a couple baseball caps that we brought along, and we'd give it to that one guy, and he wouldn't take it. I can't take anything from strangers. And finally one of the uh, natives there said, take the cap and go. <laughs> he took it and But my point is, when we hear of a teenager having a child, you've got to recognize they're much more adult, much more mature than socially than maybe some of our kids at that age. I'm not saying everybody. Joseph was probably older. We don't know. And you didn't get married then until you had a job. The man made his own living. The parents would make the uh, arrangements when they were still kids. So the girl would grow up knowing, I'm going to marry this guy. The guy grew up knew he was going to marry this girl. They made a financial agreement between them and signed a contract. And then when the guy would get old enough and start building his house, the woman would say to her friends, to the bride party, get ready, he's getting ready. The f he's going to come over here some night and he's going to take me to his house and we're going to have a feast. Convergence. In the last chapters of the book of Matthew. Have your lamps ready and your... Uh, ready to go, because when he comes, light your lamps and go with me. Ten versions, remember that? How many were ready? Five. And the others missed. There's a story and lesson in that. And, uh, and the bride-to-be said, look, you be ready at a moment's notice, because some night he's coming with the party, and we're going to go back to our his house, we're going to have a feast, and we're going to consummate the marriage. Kind of a neat way, wasn't it?
I remember in Egypt, we asked the, uh, some of the ladies asked the guy in Egypt, said, how's marriage? And she said, oh, our marriage is our range. And some of the ladies were, what? And she said, no, but no problem. I knew all my life from a little kid who I was going to marry. And I prepared myself for him and he for me. My folks were loving parents and his folks were loving parents, so they wouldn't link us up with, some, with nobody. And we didn't get into the dating party and uh, all that kind of thing. We prepared ourselves for each other and and then she said, how do you learn to love your husband? Over the years. Good marriage, you learn to love the husband and it grows in depth. And you that have good marriages, wouldn't you say that's true? Don't answer. <laughs> I'd say it's true. I thought I loved my wife when I married her, but it's nothing compared to the way I love her now altogether different and deeper. I'm sure you made some points there, Rod. Yeah. She had to learn to obey me. It took a while. <laughs> you were. Okay. I'm hot out in your garage. Pardon? Is it hot out in your garage? <laughs> son who, uh, you know, there's a verse in Proverbs, uh, nagging wife is like a dripping faucet or whatever. Or, and, and you're supposed to go to the roof, so they get in a little disagreement, I'm going to the roof. Uh, it's laughable, but quite frankly, it's really sad when I look out how many marriages are not functioning the way they should. I think one of the toughest things I've had over the years is marriage counseling. If people just follow the word, the Bible says basically love your enemy. <laughs> Well, I don't get on that. You just lost your points. <laughs> you know, really, you know, Jeff, uh, I'd have to say this. That I can kid Faith and she could kid me because we have uh, our love is deep. You can't kid each You don't kid people you don't. You have trouble with, right? You can't kid people that don't like you. But you can kid people that you do love within reason. You, you don't want to cross the line. I don't kid people that, there's some people I don't kid at all. But uh, I feel free when I'm kidding Roger. Me <laughs> too. He takes it well and he can dish it out too. Relatives, you can't. You can't decide you don't like them. They're still your relatives. Especially okay. pastor relatives. You expressed all this love. I do have a question. And I think you told me what it was, but I don't remember. Um, 
as I read all this, you know, you got to be a son of David, son of Abraham, Elijah, you know, Jewish, Jewish, Jewish. I don't understand how the Antichrist could not be, how would they accept him if he wasn't Jewish? They believe a lie. First, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. They believe a lie. I was listening to a podcast this afternoon on fossils. And the definition of a fossil is the remains of a dead animal who once lived. And he was pointing out and something I never knew before. We have a lot of fossils that are in that are encapsulated in the earth that still have soft tissue in them and they stink. And we can get DNA from them. And in fact, they're trying to mix a DNA from a woolly elephant found in the tundra of Siberia with an elephant. Trying to mix a DNA. Hadn't worked yet, but they're trying. You heard that? Why don't you hear that stuff? Because we have adopted the religion of evolution. And, and he said, this guy is a PhD. He was saying this. He said, we can hardly write a paper that will be accepted. And he said, there are 118 papers on fossils that have been written by men paleontologists who have this, and he said we can't get one of them published. Why? They believe a lie. Yes. Well, I was, I was going to say that that scripture in chapter 2 is really protective for, from uh, just a protective mentality that the believer should have in all scripture. Like Paul was writing here as a plea to the church in Thessalonica to not be swayed from or disturbed from any false spirit or message or, or anything that could sway them. I mean, if we're not, you know, back in the psalm we just read as well, like grounded in the rock and found bedrock of Scripture in our Lord, then it's pretty easily to be swayed. And uh, I think you have to recognize the devil can't keep you from being saved. Why? Holy Spirit does You're called, you're chosen. You came to the Lord dragging and kicking against the Lord. You know that? How did how was Paul saved? On the way to Damascus on a sawdust trail to an altar? What was the first question that the voice said to him? Why are you kicking against the goats? What's Paul's next answer? Who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I'm Jesus. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You're the one I hate. Now suddenly the truth dawns on him. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, it says, His salvation is an example of ours. You are lost, dead, in sin. Somebody called you to himself and drew you 
And John chapter 6, 44 says, you can't come unless the Holy Spirit draws you. It's the same word where they drew the net out of the water. You came, you may have kicked against it for a while, but finally you said, Lord, I, I give. How many people were saved the first time they heard the message? Not very many. And you came. So the devil can't stop you from being saved. But, you know what he can do? He can stop you from enjoying your salvation. He can stop you from enjoying it. He can cloud up the message enough so that you can be a believer and always live in a mist and a fog. He can also make you be unfruitful. Right. How much freedom does a person get when he finally sees the truth? Man, I, every once in a while a new truth, or not a new truth, but a truth I discover for myself, it's just like knocking down you know, a line of dominoes and you hit it and it just, boy that clears up a lot of stuff. Gives me liberty and joy. Enjoy. <coughs> I love this world and I read all about it, but, but uh, Better things are ahead. Way better. I like this class. We can wander all over the place. <laughs> isn't, isn't that true of your salvation? That suddenly you saw the light and God got you in a corner and boxed you in. And you said, I'll call faith okay he speaks to Joseph now Joseph is having a problem Matthew chapter 1 the problem is he's engaged he's betrothed everything is set for the marriage but they have not got together and she shows up what pregnant what am I going to do it's not my child he can do, he can legitimately break off the betrothal. And to break a betrothal was equivalent to a divorce. And he could do that. And he could say, this is not my child, she was unfaithful. And he's struggling what to do. He loves her, and he can't believe she did this. And the angel comes and says, you know what? This child fulfills a scripture of Isaiah. Read chapter 1 of Matthew 21 to 23. Uh, Rod, could he not have had her stoned if he would have wanted to? Probably. Yeah. That would have taken uh, a trial, basically. Okay. Hey, uh, by the way, Joseph is not treated much in the Christmas story, but he's a very fine person with a lot of character. And she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Go ahead and read through verse 23. Uh, okay. 
So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. Okay, and that's exactly a quote out of Isaiah 714. Go ahead. Just a note thought. Um, the virgin birth is more of a rare miracle than people being raised from the dead. You have multiple resurrections. You only have one virgin birth. Yeah, good point. That is quite a miracle, actually, when you think about it, like all these miracles. And uh, so that put ease, put ease, put ease to Joseph. <clears throat> he will bear a son, which means God with us. And wasn't Jesus God with us? A visible manifestation of the invisible God, Colossians 1. 1450. I think Roger's point, I think it's interesting in my studies right now, I was, you know, I'm working on church history stuff. The first two, attacks, first two major heretical attacks um, that the church had to convene and clear up were on, on the, the person of Christ, the, the deity of Christ, the person of Christ. So, you know, seven major councils, you know, within the first hundred years after. Um, and, and here throughout scripture, you know, Genesis 1, Gen, sorry, Gen, what's the stamped on the head, the, the serpent we stamped on the front, Genesis 3.15, all the way through, you know, the, the closing, the, the benediction in Revelation is, is all about Christ, is, has said who he is. Right, through ups, all the ups and downs of theology, one thread runs through that never changes. Yeah. Jesus was born of a virgin, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah. And that's the spirit of the Antichrist, is that Jesus is God. Right. You bet. First John says it's already with us. The spirit of the Antichrist is already here. Is that meaning Satan, or is that meaning the I mean, Antichrist? I think it means person. the Antichrist. You do? No. I've heard both. The Antichrist is Satan's protege of what a man ought to be. Right. That's his man. The devil is not creative. He's a mimicker. He mimics what he sees. I think I think that's a good point right there. Uh, the most effective ministry I have been least in my opinion that, that Satan has is the is the pseudo Christianity. It's the it's how close can I get to be the real right. thing without that's being that's the real, real danger. Yeah. That's the danger. Lead people astray effectively. I believe that all of us will get our theology straightened <laughs> None of us have it correct. But I want to be as close to being correct as I can be, but we all have our own little things that probably are not correct. If I knew what they were, I'd correct them. For sure. Put it that way. Okay, any comments about Joseph? He's evidently dead. 
by the time Jesus starts his ministry. Why do you say that? It's not around. And uh, the other thing, oh, there's a, even a greater reason. Uh, Jesus could not be king as long as Joseph's alive. Because Joseph is in line to be king. Even though he's not a king. Why did uh, why did uh, Jesus tell John, take care of my mother, yeah. if Joseph was alive? Right, there's another reason. <coughs> wouldn't happen. Is there any indication or any anything we know about his death? Or I've never read that. Might be a tradition or two, but I don't even know of them. Oh, and there's another verse. Now they think about it in John or in uh, Matthew, then not in John, but in the other Gospels. The crowd comes and talks to Jesus and says, uh, "Your mother and brothers want you." Remember that? Didn't say your father and mother. Your your uh, brothers and. Uh, uh, your brothers and your mother want you and what does Jesus say? You are <laughs> You are my brothers and sisters. Exactly. Can you imagine that? We're a brother to Jesus Christ. Or he's our brother. You know, we're related to royalty. May not be living like a king now, but you're going to be. Alright, how about to the shepherds? We've got three minutes to cover them. Luke 2, 9 to 12. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Okay. Uh, the shepherds get the news and notice city of David. Bethlehem. Which was predicted by Micah in chapter 5. And will be born to you a Savior who is Christos which is a translation of Neshua. Messiah, the Anointed One, the Lord. He's the King. And what did the what did the shepherds do? What did they say? Let's go see this child. What are we waiting for? I uh, I put in a passage not in your notes, but it's Isaiah twenty-five six to nine, where the Bible predicts. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow, and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he'll swallow up the covering which is over all peoples, even the veil which is stretched over all the nations. And then in verse 9 it says, And he said in that day, Behold, this is our God, for whom we have waited. He might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. He's the Savior. Not only King, He's the Savior. And uh, the Magi, I'm just going to say a few words 
about the Magi, and you can read your notes. The Magi were Gentiles coming from a hundreds of miles away. It was a fraternity of astro astronomers, not astrologers, but astronomers and chemists. And they were well known. And they came into the city, and when they hit the city of Jerusalem, two or three hundred of them, the whole city went in an uproar. And especially when they said, why? Where is he? who is born king of the Jews. For we have seen his star in the heavens. There's a cosmic disturbance when Jesus is born. And when will there be another cosmic disturbance? When he comes again. In Matthew we read concerning this, Take a look at, uh, I thought I wrote it down, but I guess I didn't. Yeah, I did. Take a look at Matthew 24, 29 to 30. That'll be our closing passage tonight. Matthew 24, 29 to 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Wow. First time he came, a star appeared to some Gentiles from Persia. Oh, fraternity. You know what's unique about this? Uh, Herod developed. Herod the Great was really great. Herod, he had some. He he died a nut, but yeah. he was fanatic. Died with jealousy. But Herod developed. Oh, he made his money by trading with India, spices. In two hours, Herod could tell you the status of every trade company caravan on its route. He did it by mirrors during the day and fire by night. And 300 men slipped out of Judah after they were told by Jesus. Go another way. Interesting. Eric was, a, was quite an inventor and a brilliant builder. By the way, just a side on Herod, he was one king Cleopatra could not seduce. She didn't like him at all because he wouldn't do anything she wanted. She was over there in Egypt. Remember Mark Anthony came in? Mark Anthony uh, fell in love with Cleopatra. There were a couple wars over that with the uh, uh, emperors in uh, Rome. All right. Thank you for coming and. Uh, Let's bow in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have saved us. You called us before the foundation of the world. And you brought us to yourself in grace. There's nothing we could do to earn it. In fact, we were dead and lost in our sins. And you rescued us and gave us eternal life. Not only that, Lord, you left us with your word and told us about yourself. 
we pray that all Christians would read the Bible carefully and take it literally and enjoy the faith that you have given them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, on your notes, uh, the prophecies concerning the Messiah suffering. I gave you a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the New Testament life. Uh, 30 pieces of silver. That's what it should be. I think I have pies. 30 pies of silver should be pieces. Uh, numbered with the transgressors. All of these things, to a point, gall and vinegar, uh, friends standing aloof, unbroken bones, darkness over the land, buried in a rich man's tomb. Many of these prophecies were given a thousand years before he came on the scene. And all fulfilled. I give you the prophecy and the New Testament equivalent. Thanks to James L. Boyer, who wrote all these hands.